Sugarcoated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence, preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Sugar Coated. I'm so excited because we have an amazing guest. Her name is Carol Montgomery, and she has had a long and varied career with over two dozen television credits to her name. She's a respected veteran of the stand-up comedy scene nationwide. And in addition to her numerous television appearances, Carol has headlined clubs and colleges across the USA and was a closing keynote speaker at She Leads Live 2023. She also starred in two different Las Vegas production shows. In her 10 years as a Las Vegas star, she was seen by over 5 million audience members. Carol Montgomery created and stars in three Showtime specials for funny women of a certain age. Welcome to Sugar Coated Carol. Hello. Hi. Yay. So happy that you're here today. And, you know, I I quickly mentioned that you were the closing keynote speaker at our recent annual conference, She Leads Live, and you really brought down the house and brought up the energy. And I'm so grateful to you for that because it was such an incredible two days and you were part of it. And I just, I adore you, Carol. And I want to learn so much about you. And we're going to go back and we're going to figure out what led you to where you are today. Oh, wow. Well, gee. uh, So uh, thanks for having me on. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) We're Uh, turning back the hands of time. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, the the She Leads Live event was so great. It was so, and, and I made so many great connections. And it's just so nice to be around women who support each other. Yeah. You know, the me- the media wants you to think that um that women are out to get, you know, they're only out for themselves and you know, I mean there are women like that. I mean, but then there are men like that. So, but but for some reason the media really portrays women as being backstabbing and mean girls and the real housewives and it's not like that. And when you get into a room of women who just want to help each other succeed, it was a pleasure. It was absolute pleasure. Amazing. Yeah. And that is definitely what She Leads is all about. It's an incredibly supportive community. And I also think one of the things that makes it so special and, and also the the listeners of this podcast, Sugarcoated, is that we are, it's, it's sort of not that whole boss babe vibe. It's mm-hmm. more, you know, people that are looking for practical advice and truly looking to help one another. Um, and you were part of that, and you are part of that. So it's it's incredible all around. Yes. You did Yay. a good job. You, you and Tori should be very proud of yourselves. Thank you so much. I'm sure you probably passed out and slept for like a week. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, came down with some crazy cold and still not over it, but that's okay. You know what? I'll tell you something about, you know, it's interesting that that that, that happened because, and I'm sure that you were probably getting sick during it, but, but what, what, what the, the, the mind is actually really cool is that you're like, nope, can't get sick. And then as soon as you could, didn't have to do anything, you got sick. That's so, I, that's happened to me so many times. The first year I was in Las Vegas, we used to do 13 shows a week. Oh. And I mean, you know, and uh, three shows on Saturday, two every night, one night off. And we would break for, we would break for Christmas. We'd have a week off at every, that first year. I, I I literally drove from work. I started coughing. I was sick the entire week I was off because oh. my body was like, okay, we held it together. Yeah. So that, had, how did you do that? Yeah. I, I was younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, uh, comedians are, you know, we're, we're, we're night people. My son, by the way, who's 31 now, but he was, he was four when we mm. lived in Vegas. We used to, I used to put him in night daycare. Really? I had to work and my husband was still working in Los Angeles and commuting on the weekends. So he's a vampire too. Like he, yeah. he works in nightclubs. Of course. I mean, what a shock. He was not going to have a nine to five job. Yeah. I mean, I've done this my whole life. What's interesting is as I've gotten older and I get to pick and choose where I want to work and what I want to do, I always, I always opt for the show that starts at seven. Yeah. You know, and I mean, when we do shows, we do shows in Florida, we do matinees. I mean, like, I'm too tough. I did it. I did it for many, many years. But years ago, when I first came back to New York, I was working a comedy club down in the village and the guy had given me the midnight show. He gave me the, he gave me, it was like the eight, 10 and midnight. And I said, why would you give me the midnight show? Yeah. <laughs> I'm barely able to do the 10 o'clock show. And, and they, but they're like, cause they, they, you know, they're trying to be nice. And I'm like, nope, give me the show yeah. and let me be home by eight o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> so you you just said that you were have been doing this your whole life. And it's so funny. I, I think about that life. And then the fact that you created this funny women of a certain age, you very much are an entrepreneur. So I almost want to I, I do want to go back. How did you get into comedy in the first place and then make a decision that this is what you were going to do as you are, you know, profession or vocation? Yeah. Well, um, great question. I have to uh, give kudos to my father because I think that's really where it all started. When I was a little girl, my dad was a very, I'm actually, I'm writing a solo show about him right now, but my dad was a very larger than life person. Like when mm -hmm. he walked into the room, if there were a million people in the room, everyone knew that he walked into the room. He was that type of person, mm -hmm. but he was the one that turned me on to comedy. So now that you're a little bit younger than I am, but back in the day when there was only three channels on TV, well, three network TV shows, and then there was Channel 5, Channel 9, yeah. and 11. Yes. Okay. And 11. <laughs> that was it. There was only six channels. Yep. On Channel 5, every Sunday morning, they would have like the Bowery Boys and Abbott and Costello. And so he, I, he gave me my love of comedy because we would sit and watch that. And then mm. as a teacher... And when we'd get home and when we'd have dinner in the kitchen, we had a TV in the kitchen, six o'clock, we watched I Love Lucy on Channel 5. He turned me on to the Marx Brothers. So I, I learned my love of comedy from him. And then later on in life, I didn't even realize this until when I was already doing stand-up, but I'd forgotten that my dad was a bartender in the Catskills because he was a teacher. Mm. And in the summertime, he would still work because his dream was always to take us traveling. 
So when I was, a, we didn't go, we started traveling when I was 10. So up until I was like a baby till I was, let's say nine, every summer we were in the Catskills and my dad was working. So my hmm. father would be bartending or, 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 you know, he would be setting up the bar for the evening shows and I'd be sitting there and keeping him company. And, you know, in would walk Rodney Dangerfield. In yeah. Would Mason, Tony Fields. Rodney Dangerfield oh. at that point was Jack Roy. He wasn't even Rodney then. Years later, I said, you know, it's your fault. I'm a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> you put me there. Yeah. So that's how it, that's how it all started. Who might, you know, the, wow. the love of comedy. And tell me about your whole, you know, you, you went through school, high school, college, like, and then when was sort of, when did you first start actually, you know, doing this, like putting yourself out there? Yeah, well, what, so I graduated high school, I went to college, I went to Brooklyn College first, I was studying theater. Hmm. Well, I actually, I, I skipped a grade, so I guess I was 17, so I was probably 18 when I started Brooklyn College. You know, after six months, I said to my dad, I said, I want to, I want to work in theater. You know, at the yeah. time, I thought I was going to be a, a, a lot, like a, a stagehand because I love <laughs> being, I love doing all of that. And mm. I was actually doing summer stock. It was 1979, so I was 21 years old. I was doing summer stock. I was literally putting up lights and painting sets and everything. And the crew, you know, we stayed there all summer. They, one of the guys, one of the gentlemen said to me, you know, you're really funny. You should be a comedian. Yeah. You have to understand, this was 1979. So. Yeah. There were who knew what a comedian was. Now it's like you could either be a doctor or a lawyer or a comedian. You know, yeah. it's become an actual job. So I was like, I don't know why he goes. I, I said, well, I don't even know how you would do that. He goes, Well, you you'd have to write a monologue. And I was like, like you mean? I said, like the Johnny Carson. Like I seriously, there was nobody. So, yeah. Um, so they they we sat down and he helped me write a bit. I have no idea. I don't remember it at all because back then they didn't have cameras. <laughs> and uh, we had a Christmas party in August. It was like the last few weeks of, of of stock. So we sat around. It was the whole crew. And I got up and I did stand up. And um, wow! And then from there, I, I, I you know, I, I was still living with my parents. So I there's a club uh, that's no longer there called Pips, which was in Sheepshead Bay. That's where David Brenner started and Joan Rivers started there. Oh, wow. And so I just started going up. Like, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was so young. I was 21 years old. Like, I think, mm. I, like, I, I joke with people because I've been doing stand-up now for over 40 years. I could have killed people and been out of jail by now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be a lifelong career. What? This is so great. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And and then you continue to do all of this. And then when did you sort of conceive of the funny women of a certain age? Well, so what happened was, is, you know, I was working in Vegas. So I'll, I'll do a, a quick synopsis of my entire sure. career. So it started back then, like I said, no internet, no TV, no cameras. Basically, you work at clubs and you, you work at your set at the clubs. Mm-hmm. There was the Catch a Rising Star, the Improvisation, and the Comic Strip were the big clubs in New York City. There was no comedy cellar. There was none of that stuff. And I got past the Catch a Rising Star, and I started working there. Um, but like late night, like they they throw on the new comics really late at night. Like there'd be two people, you know. But that's how you paid your dues. Yeah. And there was a gentleman. There was a small club. It's you know it's so funny. I, I I'm probably going to be cremated, but if I was going to have a tombstone, it would be I'm always in the goddamn basement. <laughs> every comedy club is in a basement. Huh. Huh. Uh, so this little club was called Who's on First? And it was it's now a Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> on 61st and 1st. 
And I happened to be there to do, somebody told me about it. I went there and the gentleman who was running it, his name is Peter Spellos. He recently just passed away. He was my mentor. He said, you can work here anytime. So hmm. he gave me the chance to be, to work, to work on stage every week. And which when you're a new comic, it's very hard to get stage time, even to this day. Mm. So then that happened. And then, you know, I started, I started, you know, they, they had things like one nighters, you go out to Jersey and they pay you 50 bucks and all the fried food you can eat, which is why a lot of comics died in the eighties. Um, yeah. No, seriously. I mean, because yeah. they gave you, there was no thing. I'd like, can I have a salad? No, that's too expensive. So, um, so I started doing that and some, I don't know. I don't really remember. I, I actually, I do remember why I moved to Los Angeles. My best friend had moved to California mm. and I, I, I'd always wanted to go there. And I went and stayed with her and I said to my husband, I said, I think I should move to California. So mm. we moved to California. I still went back because at that point I had built up my career to the point where I was a headliner. So I was making a living as a comic. I stopped producing. Mm. And then that's when I started doing the TV and stuff. So, and then what happened was I had done all the TV. I had done all the TV I was going to do with it. Because back then when you did a TV show, they were, gonna, they were not going to have you back for another year. So in the meantime, I said, okay, why don't I try to get pregnant? And so I did. I had my son, went back mm -hmm. on TV. Like everyone said to me, so many people in the industry said, you're going to ruin your career by having a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, ha ha, that's adorable. I remember like what I said in the you know, thing, you tell me no, watch me. I, like, I don't yeah. I, you, when someone tells me I can't do something, that actually gives me more incentive to do it. Yeah. I think so many women have that drive. Like, just watch. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because you're just like, well, how could you tell me no? You know? So I had him. I was back on TV. My first major show was called uh, the Showtime Comedy All-Stars. And that's important for the story for when I, when I end up selling Funny Women. I think he was three months old and I left him to go shoot the special. Wow. So, and then around the time he turned four, I was working at the Riviera in, in Las Vegas talking about like, I, I'm not a real believer in the secret or putting it out there, but every time I put it out there, it comes to me. Yeah. It's a focus. It's, it's not, I mean, who knows what it is, but when you set your mind on something, right. you find a way to do it. Exactly. So I was in Vegas and I had, you have to understand, I was on the road all the time. I was on the road like three weeks every month. Mm. And so I was in Vegas and when I used to tour, because I toured so much, I, I would make, try because I was going to be there for a week. So I would make the, I'd make my room, you know, I'd take some pictures from the home and blah, blah, blah. And I was putting away my stuff. It's the only time this has ever really happened. I was putting away my toiletries and my pictures and, and I was just like, oh. Oh man, wouldn't it be nice to just stay home, stay in one place and not have to go anywhere and still be able to do stand up? And the next day, the entertainment director from the Riviera called me and said, Listen, the woman who was doing the production show, she had fallen ill and they needed a replacement. Did I want to do it? And I was huh. like, Of course. So I did 27 shows that week. Wow. I went from the comedy club to Crazy Girls, back to the comedy club to Crazy Girls, back, back and forth. And then at the end of that week, the, uh, the producer of Crazy Girls offered me a contract. That's amazing, Carol. Wow. And that's how I, and, and then I stayed in Vegas for 10 years and I was able to raise my son in some semblance of normality. Yeah. Considering it's Vegas, but you know what I mean? Yeah. God, it, it is true, right? It's like there, there's also something I think that is just sort of in the air that you're like, hmm, where did I get this idea from? <laughs> right? right. Right. Yeah. 
And so what uh. happened, getting to Funny Women, so I was in Vegas for 10 years. We moved back home because I wanted my son to go to high school in New York City because that's how bad the schools had gotten. Oh, yeah. Vegas that I wanted him to come back. And then I had to restart everything, which is, for your listeners, this is really important. Is that yeah. So much of our lives as women, I think, are told, you know, if you don't make it by this age, if you don't do that, and there's no cutoff. There's no, yeah. but we don't know that because we're growing up and you're like, I, even my son, this is not just a woman's thing. Like my son's 31 and he's like, oh man, I, you know, I should have. I said, what do you mean you should have? You yeah, you're a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> I said, I, I sold the show when I was 59. Yeah. And what was is I started to see the writing on the wall. I know mm-hmm. my business is not kind to women, you know, after a certain age. And um, I was doing another podcast. It was a live podcast. And we were sitting around with uh, like three or four other female comics. And we were laughing and having such a great time. And I remember saying to my husband, I was, I called him as I was leaving, you know, going to the train to go home. I went, there should be a show like this. Yeah. And that's how it came about. So, and and that's, that's basically how it happened. Oh my, I I love this whole story because it's ripe with opportunity and seizing the opportunity and putting your mind somewhere and reinvention and making your life what you need it to be for where you are in your life. And I think all of that is so incredibly inspiring. And, you know, we talk so much here at at Sugar Coated and, and she leads about, you know, business, right? And so we don't talk to comedians very much, but there are so many parallels here in everything that you've done to everything that, you know, entrepreneurs go through. And especially when women are moving out of, you know, corporate or let's say they were nurses or teachers or something and and they want to start a business. They, they, we talked about this at the conference, like there's an identity that you need to shed and then a new identity that you need to adopt in order to be a successful entrepreneur. But I also think that the more that we know ourselves, that we can be self-directed and say, I need this. And it doesn't matter what everybody else around me is doing. Right. I mean, you did something that no other woman, well, there were other women, but there were very few women that were doing what you're doing. You know, you had your dad, which is so incredible. But who were some of the other people along the way that just encouraged you like, hey, yeah, you know, keep going? Or or was that more like self-direction? I think it was more self-direction. Like, it, it, it's funny thing. My, my mother-in-law calls me the pit bull because yeah. I, I will, I will like grab onto something and I won't let it go until I'm, you know, and that's in anything. Like, you know, I, I, I always joke with people that I'm like, I'm probably the original Karen, but not racist. Do you know what I mean? Because I've always been like, wait, wait a minute. You know, it's like, what do you mean? You can't do that for me. Let me speak to somebody else who can get at least explain to me because you know what happens with anything, you know, people are so used to just saying no and just going, okay. They said no. Unless there's a real reason to say no, I will keep going. Mm. You know, and, 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 and I, I wanted, I actually want to do, you know, probably a, some kind of Ted talk, keynote or something about the power of, of, of understanding that no is not a bad thing. Yeah. No, you know, when, when you're younger, I really do believe this, that your self-esteem, and I do this, I talk about this in my act, that your self-esteem is so low when you're younger. Yeah. And so when you hear no, you're like, oh, they must hate me. 
It's like, no, no means I, no, I can't do this. It doesn't mean that you're terrible. People take that word so personally. Yeah. And and I'm not, I, I just put, I push my head down and I just keep going. Yeah. And no is also like, no, with all of the exact parameters as they are right now. So what needs to change in order for it to get to maybe or or yes? I, I love the no doesn't mean no, <laughs> right? right. For, for women, when we're trying to accomplish something in our lives, no just means not not that path, not right now, not you under these circumstances. But it doesn't, it's not a, like how they say, you know, no is a complete sentence in this case, no is not a complete sentence. Well, you know, I mean, I love telling the story. My ex-manager, who I remain friends with to this day, and her husband, her husband was a very big producer, and we had already, you know, parted ways uh, as far as her handling me. But they had come to visit me when I was in Vegas because they had children the same age at the time, and we were all hanging out in the pool, and we went, ha- we had lunch. When I got her husband alone, I was asking him, just as when I had just started doing my first solo show, and I said, I would love if you could possibly help me or throw some names at me, something, I'd love to have you involved. And he says, Carol, I can't. He goes, I'm so, I'm so slammed. You know, he was a very, very busy man. He loved me. And, he, yeah. you know, but it, it wasn't that he was going, no, I can't help you. You're a piece, you know, piece of crap, blah, blah, blah. It was, right. I can't, I'm just too busy. And then we went back to playing with the kids. You have to be able, and I was like, all right. I mean, and, and that's the other thing that, and it's something I taught my son is always ask because the yeah. word they're going to say is no. Yeah. And sometimes the answer is no, then you go to somebody else. I love that. Always ask, right? Because if you don't ask, you're never going to get, and that doesn't even mean get something, it means get an answer. Well, but also people think I've been on all the sides of the of the business. I've been behind the scenes as an agent. I've produced. I've written. It. And sometimes, you know, people think, oh, what? You know, they must hate me. They they didn't get back to me, or you know, why haven't they responded? You know, people have lives, and yeah. I know it's hard for everyone to understand this, but your life. I, I understand your life is you, but people have other. They're not all thinking about us. Yeah, you know what I mean. So so. So always ask, and if you don't get a response, reach out again. And if you don't get a response, then okay, then probably they're they're not interested. But I can also tell you that when I was I was one of the uh, people who was doing the casting for the first Las Vegas Comedy Festival a billion years ago, mm-hmm. and I had friends, good friends of mine, calling me, going, "I want to do the festival," and it they went to voicemail because I just didn't have the time. And now. With everything that's happening in my life, like I've decided, I realize I, I call it, I don't have the bandwidth anymore. Mm. I, yeah. I, am, I, I, I am overloaded. So yeah. people have to understand that. So, so my thing is, is be persistent. If they say no, you could probably ask again. But if you don't hear back, you know, don't, it's not even more about asking and they'll say no. It's more about if they do say no, big deal. There's eight billion other people you can reach out to. Yeah, such great messages. I, I, such great lessons. And I think we can all, you know, in every aspect of our lives, we can think about that. Right. Because when you get into that place of like, oh, 
they said, you know, they didn't get back to me. They hate me. Right. How can you possibly move forward with any type of like positive attitude and expect any type of positive outcome if you're like, oh, they hate me. You're probably going to hate me too. Well, also, I, I think this comes from age, you know, because like I think, I, you know, I think back to myself, like so many things happened to me in my 20s, like mm-hmm. career wise. And I immediately went to, it's me. Yeah. Something's wrong with me. And it had nothing to do with me. Here's another great example. So there was a TV show called America's uh, Funniest Mom in America. It was on Nick at Night. I had gone up for it. I was in the top 10. They flew me out to Los Angeles, blah, blah, blah. Now, what you have to understand, like in show business, is that they want types. Like if you've seen any type of reality show, you'll see certain types. Yeah. At the end of the show, the judges are giving who's going to go to the next round. So the first person they called was a redhead. Hmm. I'm a redhead. Yeah. I'm probably not getting this. Then the second person they called, because this was the year that they, they wanted some professional comedians and then they wanted some regular people. The second person they, and I'm the, I was a pro. And then my friend was, my other friend was the pro. They called her and I went, I didn't get it. I knew from the second thing that I didn't get it. And it was nothing personal. It's that they had, they're not going to have two professionals or two redheads. Yep. Just not. And once you realize that and you realize it's nothing, you're like, all right, well, at least I got a, a trip out to LA. I got to see some of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is true. And and that, that even goes, my kids, when they were applying to college and everything, colleges also look for certain categories of people because they want their student body to be very diverse. So, you know, they're not going to you know, bring in all the white boys because they need diversity. So when when they were rejected from some of the schools, it had nothing to do with their grades. It had to do with, you know, sort of their demographics more than anything else. Well, I'll I'll give you even a better one. So my son went to, uh, my my mother-in-law, when we moved back, she said she'd pay for him to go to private school because I, you know, and it was a very, very exclusive school here in New York City. And when my son graduated, and he, straight A, you know, good SATs, he applied to three colleges, uh, Ithaca, Berkeley, not Berkeley. What's the one in Boston? Berkeley? There's uh-huh. a lot in Boston. <laughs> anyway, and, and NYU. He got into two. Now, this particular school, they've never not accepted. And NYU people have never accepted, you know, in other words, they've always accepted this group of kids from NYU. From that school, right. You didn't get accepted to NYU, and you want to know what the reason was? <laughs> when they, you know, you when you're putting in your... Um, application it says will you uh will you be needing financial aid and we ah. checked yes and the, he didn't get in and oh my god he didn't get well in. yeah because they don't want to have to do that they want the, they want the, the really wealthy people it was mm-hmm. mind-blowing but you know it's fascinating because he was so devastated and he got into Ithaca he got into Ithaca in the new school with full rides like oh my god you know what I'm saying like he got they, he got scholarship but oh. and ironically and this is because your kid are they in college still they're in college still, yeah. Ironically, he'd gone in to do because he's a musician and he wanted to work in the record, you know, the recording of NYU. He has tinnitus. He would not, if he had gone there, he would have never been able to be a sound engineer because he has tinnitus. So it, wow. it's actually a blessing. But when he was devastated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, That's yeah. part of life. It has really nothing to do with it personally. There are boxes that have to be checked. And there are people that are going to get it, get it because whatever they fit the demographic for that. And people just don't understand that once. And like I said, a lot of this has to do with age. 
once you go, oh, all right. That's how it works. That's right. how it works. Exactly. Then you're happy, right? Then you can be happier. Then you can move through your life with maybe a little bit more mental ease, mm -hmm. right? And that's what it's about too, because we can't be walking around constantly feeling rejected. It's it's just not fun to live no, like that. No, it's it's and but 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 a lot of people, you know, do yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. Now, you, one other thing I wanted to just touch on. So you were very focused in your career on you as a comedian, right? And and promoting your career and being a headliner. And yes, you would be working with other people. But then uh, Funny Women of a Certain Age, that's you. That It wasn't just about you as the comedian anymore. It was about the whole entire cast, right? So you right. kind of shifted roles. So how was that for you? Because a lot of entrepreneurs go through that, right? They're solopreneurs and then they need to start building their team so that they can grow their business. Right. You did the same thing with funny women. Yeah. So it's so interesting. I love I love talking about this stuff because I, I forget, you know, you, you live a life and you forget. Yeah. But I guess my entire career, I've always wanted to help people which is probably yeah. why I, I didn't go further because I didn't have that cutthroat mentality because I, I went into comics to this day that goes, Oh, Hey. And I'm like, you know, I don't remember them. And they're like, you let me stay in your hotel room because they wouldn't give the booker wouldn't give us, give me a room. So I slept on your floor or mm -hmm. you, when I asked you questions about, you know, and this is both, you know, girls and boys. I just always was like, wait a minute, there's room for all of us. You know, I've always believed that. I mean, like when I was younger, you know, there was more competition back then because there weren't a lot of women then. So the spots were less. But mm -hmm. when I got older and I saw all of my friends who I, I mean, like I, I say this on stage, I, I know because you've seen our show, because you came to the show at the Riverhead, right? Were you at no, the one in um, Connecticut. Oh, in Connecticut. Okay. Sorry. Which was amazing, by the way. I, I I think I peed my pants. Ah, well, <laughs> and that's why Poise should be our sponsor. So if anyone from Poise is listening. Okay. So um, I'm sure I said this in the show is that so many of the women I know, of course, when you talk about the contemporaries of, of the day, you, you always think about the big names. But there were so many women comedians that are brilliant and funny and what we in our business call killer comics, which means they always do well. And they're just, nobody's heard of them. Not that they haven't heard of them, but they, they're not superstars because yeah. they're on the road doing clubs and colleges and casinos and corporate. And I wanted to showcase that. I wanted, mm. to, I wanted to go, hey, here's a bunch of girls that are amazing. And the show that you saw was with Leanne and with Linda Belt. Yep. Two amazing comics. And, amazing. you know, it, it was an amazing show. So I love doing that. Like people are like, well, but what about you? I'm like, I said, I get, I've been doing standup for f over 40 years. I love my job, but I also, I, I get more happiness when I'm w sitting there watching my friends. Leanne and I are like best friends, you know, and yeah, I will watch her set and I've seen it hundreds of times and I still laugh <laughs> because I Jesus love, terrible. I love watching people shine. So, yeah. so, so, you know, so that's why I do it. I, I you know, I'm not trying to, I'm no, I mean, I'm not trying to be a martyr or all that, but I do think that we have to start breaking down this thing that women don't support each other 
You know, at the yeah. end of the show, we come out. Like, for example, I don't know if you saw this on my social media, but we we finally finished up the residency at our crane at the Crane Theater, which we'd been there for six years. It yeah. was the last night of the show. We do the show. Leanne was clo- closed the show. And unbeknownst to me, she comes out with a plaque that's a circuit of excellence. I started crying and she read it to me and I was like, you know, and you know, I mean, she didn't have to do that, but she did it. It meant the world to me because it's like, I don't think I'm doing anything special. I'm just trying to branch out and to, and to give more women who don't, because I like to, I do consider myself a very powerful woman and I want to give more power to other women. Mm. Gosh, Carol, that is so inspirational. And I think it's very much what She Leads Media is all about as well. And, and the conference, it's it's not the Adrian show, right? right? It's about all of the other incredible people with expertise and thoughts and opinions and getting, giving them the stage mm-hmm. to, to share that. Because I agree with you a hundred percent. There are these brilliant people that people just don't know about. Right. And you know, why is that? It feels so unjust. So I love that you are are doing that. And that plaque, I understand what that means too, because would a million dollars be nice? Yes. yes. But you keep doing it because there's there's something about the emotion of that and knowing that you're actually helping somebody, you know, accomplish something or feel better or do something that they thought that they couldn't do there. You cannot put a price on that. No, it, it's funny because I got, we, I've talked to people in a lot of comics and I teach stand up and work with people on their solo shows. I mean, I do a million things, but like, it's like a million dollar chest would be nice. But really what I want is I want to, I, I want to travel. So that's my goal. Hmm. You know, I was very lucky because I did, a, you know, I did uh, 11 tours overseas for the military. So I got to travel on the government's time, which was great. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but like to me, I've been around people who have money and you know what? They're miserable. You know, yeah. I mean, everyone thinks, Oh, if I had money or if I had this and it's like, you know what? I'd rather know at the end of the day, like if, if I left the world tomorrow, my son could say, you know, my mom did something really important. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and, and I've tried to teach him that. Because one of the things I've always said, there's an old saying in show business, the people you meet on the way up are the same people that you meet on the way down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so better be nice to everybody because yeah. I go see him because he works at some of the venues in the city and I went to see him recently and, you know, I could see everybody at the, at the job loves him. It's, uh, the best. Yeah. And like, that's all you want. Right. Like you want him to be rich, <laughs> but you also want him to having meaningful relationships with people and them to, you know, say your son's name with a smile on their face and and the fact that he did something good for them. Right. Exactly. I try to live my life that way. You know, I try to be good. I really do. I, I, you are good, Carol. (laughs) But I do like, like even little things. I I really, because I know right now the world is such a, there's so many things happening in the world. How hard is it to just say, thank you. Hey, you look good today. Hey, where'd you get that jacket? Oh my God. You know, I have stopped so many women on the subway and tapped them over. And what's funny in New York, you know, we all have attitudes. So you tap somebody and they give you that look like, what do you want? I'm going, <laughs> I love your earrings. And every woman turns into a two year, like a 12 year old girl. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Really? You like them? And that's what we're yeah. doing at this point. There's enough hostility and anger in this world. What? Mm. 
you know? Listen, Carol, you, I think you just came up with another idea. How about going, traveling around the world and tapping women on the shoulder and telling them something amazing about themselves? And Condoness Traveler can sponsor that. Yes, that would be great. Hi, you look really <laughs> good. Where did you get that? Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And then, you know, whatever, this is so funny. One time I went, I was in one of those major stores that has like rows and rows of clothes for not a Coles, but that type of show. And I was looking at something and I was carrying it with me. And this woman stopped. She goes, where did you get that? (laughs) Over there. I think they still have some. And and we were, but, but it was just so funny because we would, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. We should. And you should. (laughs) Sponsored by Condé Nast Travel. (laughs) Carol, listen, I think that I could speak to you all day long and just come up with a lot of ideas to do a lot of amazing things to help women and to help women comedians and all of it. So how can people get in touch with you? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the sugar-coated audience that know people or that are putting on events themselves and that would love to have you there. So how can people find you, get in touch with you, go to your shows, all of it? I mean, I'm on, I'm, I'm on social, I'm even on TikTok. Wow. I know. I was talking to somebody this morning. I said, I don't know why I joined TikTok because you don't want to see me twerking. <laughs> Seriously, that is not going to end well for all of us. But basically, you can go to um, carolmontgomery.com. That's my website. You know, funnywomenofcertainage.com. That's the other website. I'm all over social media. If you, I, I think you and I connected mostly on Instagram. So yep. you can go to Carol Montgomery at Carol Montgomery Comic. I'm on LinkedIn because I would love to. One of the things I loved about doing the She Leads event is because that was a different thing for me. I like stepping out of my comfort zone. Mm. So being the keynote for me was was something that I don't do a lot. So I loved it. And I thought, mm. wow, I do have a story to tell. You know, oh, yeah. You made me think about possibly doing a TED Talk now because I do have, you know. I would love to hear a TED Talk from you. You you definitely should think about doing that. And I just talked to somebody on this past Friday who told me that she just got a TED Talk. So it's in the air. Yeah, I mean, I get that. It's And thank you for having me on this because it makes me think. I'm like, because I think we all live so much in the present, we forget what we've done in the past. And like I said, with with the young comics, like I look at some of the comics that are like big stars now and they all, you know, they're like my kids and I'm so proud of them. So, you know, so yeah, anyone wants to reach out on social media or anything like that. I'd love to do speaking events. I, you want to come see the shows, you know, we're, we're touring next year with funny women all over the country. We're in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Long Island. That's Excuse me, Florida. Oh, I can't wait for Florida. One o'clock shows. I'm still yeah. up. I'll be at the beach at three o'clock. I love it. Yeah. I mean, the first special right now is not streaming, but the second and the third are still streaming. I think that had something to do with the licensing deal. And we're, and we're trying to find a new place to drop the shows also. So if anybody has ideas network-wise, we're looking to, we're looking to branch out into, you know, Showtime was amazing. The reason we went with Showtime is I think I mentioned to you at the beginning of the show that they gave me my first break. So when we had we had everybody wanting the show and I went, nope, I'm going to Showtime because they gave me my first break. Yeah, but loyalty. Yeah, Showtime is being absorbed by Paramount Plus and it looks like they probably won't be doing a lot more comedy specials. Mm. So, you know, we're looking, we, we're looking at possibly doing a reality show. 
We're thinking about doing a documentary. So there's all mm. these things, but anybody who's listening, you've got ideas or anybody knows poise, somebody please get me to poise. <laughs> or skin girl, that would do too. I, you know, poise and drinking. I mean, come on. Yes. Oh my gosh. Hysterical. Well, Carol, thank you so much for your time today and all of the gold nuggets of wisdom that you have dropped. Uh, The women in the audience are definitely entrepreneurs and I know that they're going to take away a lot from this conversation. So thank you so much. And thank you for being such a great host. You are welcome. The She Leads Podcast Network.